all of you. And I would uh, encourage you to hit that share button and share this broadcast, this service with others. That is your way of inviting people to church. You say, well, I'm not sure. I'm a little scared to hit share. I don't know what you're going to say, Pastor. Don't worry. I won't embarrass you, okay? You hit that share button. I promise you what you're going to learn today from the Scripture. Uh, even, again, a non-Christian person from a different religious view uh, might really enjoy and be challenged by what they're going to hear uh, today, all right? So if we can get the slideshow going and share that so the people online can see it, my producer tells me, yes, we're on. So I'll give you a few announcements before we get into today's message. Keep praying for our missionaries. I mentioned Don Mann, who uh, is is on the men but needs our prayers, and Don and Marie Jose will be preparing to head overseas, predominantly to African nations, where they're going to be teaching on the critical subject of leadership, and that is their ministry focus now. Pray as well. The next slide for Michel and Louise Charbonneau in Port-au-Prince, Haiti. Uh, they are very active on Facebook and online, so you can catch up with them, uh, Facebook Haiti Ministries or HaitiMinistries.com on uh, the internet and our newest addition who you'll see there ej toupe uh, who ministers deep in the urban sector in toronto and uh, you can catch up with him at ejtoupe.com i love the fact that we can connect with missionaries so easily now years ago that was not uh, the case okay so take advantage of that they love to be encouraged they love it when you tell them that you're praying for them and that you are in fact praying for them so uh, they are our partners as together we reach the one who is far from God so that together we would become passionate followers of Jesus a couple of new things for you starting the 3rd of February and running for just five weeks until March the 3rd, Wednesday nights, just for one hour, I'm going to be running a Bible study group um, from the video series called That the World May Know. You may not know about That the World May Know, but this is an outstanding uh, video series. It's been around, I think, since the mid-1990s. And what they do there is they, they go on-site in Israel, Turkey, Greece, uh, the, the, the places of the Bible, and you are taught the Scripture uh, as, it, as it was understood by the people who first experienced the Scripture. And if you're going to learn what the Bible means to you, you've got to first learn what it meant to them. And it's sort of like taking the Bible and making it from going, making it from being in black and white to going in color. And uh, that's kind of what's going on when you get into a study like this. It really lights things up and illuminates the text for you, okay? And this is a five-week series on a clash of kingdoms. Very important, very relevant subject for today because there is a definite clash between the kingdom of God and the kingdoms of this world. How do you live Christianly in a non-Christian world, and you see the subjects on the screen there, the gospel of Caesar, the believers, the powers of darkness, the Philippian jailer, and confronting the empire. This looks at Paul's uh, second missionary journey, and in particular, the city of Philippi and the things that went on there that you see in the book of Acts. I mean, you're going to feel like you're right there, and uh, you'll get to learn the Bible and also get to meet new people at the same time. We had such a great experience through the online Alpha course 
uh, with that. And this is only five weeks, Wednesday nights at 7 p.m. All right. To join, you need to check your email inbox because you received an invitation from me this week in your email inbox and you'll see it there and you can join using the buttons there i've got one family so far okay to make this work i need more than one so i need you to respond to that again it's going to be a a great time we're going to use the zoom platform most probably which is very easy to use so uh, I look forward to, to seeing some people piggyback onto that and get into that group. You're really going to enjoy it. Something else that's new that I've been been thinking about for so long and the opportunity uh, comes now. We have uh, created a new Facebook private group uh, called City Point Discipleship. And you can uh, join this group through our Facebook page. Uh, just go to our Facebook page and you're going to see a little uh, button there that says more and go to the groups section and you'll be able to join that group that is a private group that is for people who want to grow you want to take the next step in your spiritual life it's great you're you're on the broadcast on Sundays you're joining in you're you're making comments you're trying to grow from what you learn but wh- where are are we praying for one another in a in a in a group setting can't do that right now with the pandemic, but we can certainly do that in a private Facebook group. Where are you learning extra things? Where are you being challenged about what you learned on Sunday morning? Uh, where are you held accountable for I- different things in your life? Where can you share uh, in a safe space that the whole world online doesn't see? Uh, where can you learn the spiritual disciplines of prayer and devotions and Bible study and sharing your faith and all of these things uh, through a discipleship group? And I'm going to give you things to do. I'm going to give you questions about Sunday's message. I'm going to give you things to read. I'm going to give you things to watch. Um, and so there's a you've got to want this, all right? So it's not just something that I'm going to do. It's something that I'm going to focus on a group of people who uh, really want to take the next step. Have you been baptized in water? Are you a member of the church? Uh, Things like that to go deeper in your spiritual walk. Have you led one person in your life to Jesus? You know, there's a lot of talk of spirituality and all that, and sometimes the people who talk a really good game on spirituality have never led one person personally to Jesus in their whole life. How do you learn to do that? Have you ever experienced that? You'll learn all of these things in this group, and uh, we'll be able to to do video and stream video on there that you don't necessarily have to watch live because it's a private group and it will stay in the group. So I really encourage you to join, and I'm going to start using it this week. Um, and so I want to see a little a little pack of people who say, yes, we're ready to take the next step in our spiritual walk. Again, go on our Facebook page, hit the more uh, button, and then you will be able to see that group. The only catch is you've got to have a Facebook account in order to be a part of it. And that's should be a given uh, because most of you uh, do and most of you are watching. You know, you can use the technology for good and you can use it for bad. Okay, we use it for good in our church. Uh, And thank you again for your support, your generosity in giving. We do that pretty well all through our website at the Give uh, tab. That's through PayPal or e-transfer. Some also mail things in and there's an address where you can mail in your tithe, your offering as well. We're working on your income tax receipts for the year two. 
2020. You will have them at the latest by the end of February is always the goal that I try and set for that. Okay, I'd like to do it earlier, but I'm just going to protect myself and say by the end of February at the latest. Okay, so today we're in part three of this series called When You Pray. And um, this comes from what Jesus said when Jesus was teaching about prayer. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, he says, and when you pray, and he teaches on prayer in various ways, the assumption of Jesus is that we pray. And uh, I wonder if that's a really true assumption today in the 21st century. Are we really praying the way that Jesus expects and assumes that we are? And uh, the prayer that he's talking about and the, his understanding of prayer was that it was part of our daily lives. Uh, we looked at the Lord's Prayer in the first part. You know, one of, the, one of the verses in the Lord's Prayer, give us today our daily bread. Uh, the implication is you're asking every day for your daily bread, right? So the goal of this series is to actually get you to pray every day and not some recorded monotonous boring ineffective impotent prayer but prayer that grows you prayer that's authentic and prayer that's filled with faith and prayer where you see yourself grow and you see yourself transformed and you see god in relationship with you that's the goal so today we're going to talk about prayer about a decision prayer about a decision and we're using a, an odd text for this from the book of acts and we'll use the book of acts for our whole series here and uh, this is a decision that had to be made by the the beginnings of the church the very very early early believers had to make a critical decision we'll look at that in a few minutes but there's no greater time to be talking about decision-making than now. I mean, this pandemic has squeezed people into various situations where they've got to make decisions quickly about what to do. You've got small businesses that are stressed, many of them that are closing. People are in their homes more than they've ever been before. Uh, it, what, what do I do for a job now? What do I study? Uh, is this the right place to live? Relationships are being squeezed and stressed. People, uh, divorce is on the rise. All of these things, people are facing these critical decisions and critical life moments because when something like a pandemic comes, which we haven't seen for a century, it, it squeezes people and the real stuff comes out uh, in people's lives. So it's a real opportunity for people to grow and it's decisions, decisions, decisions all the time. Um, so uh, what do you do when you face a decision and what does God have to do with it when you get to that point where you say, I've got to bring this to God? How do you do that? And what does that look like? We have great insight here from the book of Acts and uh, uh, chapter 1. And the context here is this is just before the Holy Spirit has come on uh, he, on the day of Pentecost, which will happen in Acts chapter 2. And that's typically referred to as the birth of the church, when the Holy Spirit came and the believers were filled 
with the power of the Spirit, and the church was born, and there were thousands of people who came into the community of faith and were baptized and so on. Uh, and we've taught about that in various uh, means in this church. But before that, before the coming of the Spirit there in Acts chapter 2, you have something very significant and awkward that the, uh, the apostles have to deal with in Acts chapter 1. And so I'm going to pick it up from uh, verse 15. This is the replacement of Judas. So this is the decision that they have to make. Imagine trying to fill Judas's shoes. Who would want to fill his shoes? Anyway, this is the decision, and this is what the text says. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group that was numbering about 120. So you could say that there was a church before there was a church. A church just means a meeting, uh, a gathering of people. Um, so Peter stood up. This is really significant because the last time you see Peter, uh, for at least the way Luke talks about it, and Luke wrote Acts, and Luke wrote the book of Luke, uh, you see Peter in a, in a moment of betrayal of Jesus. And then after Jesus rises from the dead, you see Peter discovers the empty tomb, sees the strips of linen lying there. And then we meet him again, at least through Luke's pen, right here in Acts chapter 1, verse 15. He stood up. Something has changed in Peter's life, clearly. And uh, he said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. So this is Peter talking to the people there. They would have known exactly who Judas was. Uh, if you don't know that much about Judas, read the Gospels and you'll see he's, he's, quite, he's quite famous uh, because of his betrayal of Jesus. And verse 18, with the reward he got for his wickedness, this is a bit gruesome here, Judas bought a field and there he fell headlong and his body burst open and all his intendants, intestines spilled out. Very gruesome. Um, just as a, as a pause for those of you who are thinking about this, you say, well, I thought Judas hung himself. Well, he did. Well, how can he hang himself and this happens to him at the same time? Uh, what you have there is two different pictures of the same thing. He likely, he likely hung himself, and then that's what happened after he hung himself uh, in terms of the geography where his body fell and so on. Okay, it's not a contradiction. It's a, it's a report from two different angles. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this, and so they called that field in their language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. Again, rather gruesome end to Judas's life. And Peter picks it up for, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms. May his place be deserted and let there be no one to dwell in it. This is from Psalm 69 that you can find in the Bible's Old Testament. And may another take his place of leadership. This is from Psalm 109, which you can also find in the Bible's Old Testament, both these Psalms written through the pen of King David. So Peter sums it up and he says, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us from the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. 
beginning from John's baptism, that's John the Baptist he's referring to, to the time when Jesus was taken up from us, for one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And so they proposed two men, Joseph, called Barsabbas, who's also got a nickname Justice, and Matthias. And here's their prayer about this decision, remarkably short. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us. I wonder if you've ever prayed that way. Lord, show me. Lord, you know this thing. Lord, show me. Which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs? And then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias and he was added to the 11 apostles making a decision. And uh, what do you do when you face a decision and you are praying about it? What is the the way, what's a practical way, what tips can you get from this passage of Scripture? So I'm going to give you three really practical things that you can put into your daily life when you face a decision and you are praying and asking God about that decision. Number one, all right, what does the Scripture say? You look at me and you say, duh, pastor, didn't you just read that? Yes, but I'm going to unpack this for you. What does the scripture say? Now, Peter, he uses the scripture to justify the choice that they have to make. So Peter, in verse 20, he says, as it is written, in the book of Psalms, and he gives two different Psalms. He cites two of them, Psalm 69 and Psalm 109. And so his, his, his process, his path to trying to bring this decision before God comes from the scripture. Why is this so important? Because typically what we do, and Christians do this, people of other religious beliefs do it, uh, non-Christians who think that there may be a God, maybe they're a little on the agnostic side and not totally on the atheist side. They do this too. Uh, again, Christians in churches do this. We, we're, we're facing a decision, and what we do is we ask, we go to a whole bunch of other sources, and it seems like the last source we go to, if at all, is the scripture. So we'll ask a whole bunch of people and see what is their opinion on the matter, what choice should you make. And uh, we'll nowadays we have the all the technology at our fingertips, and so we'll Google it and we'll see what people say. Now, uh, if you haven't been online recently, there is so much information um, about decision-making, uh, especially within the church, uh, from a standpoint of, you know, talk to me and I will tell you what God says. So I'll tell you what the Holy Spirit says about your situation and people who will say, you know, the Lord told me to tell you this about your situation and to do this and to take this course of action. There is a plethora of of this kind of thing uh, going on online and you can get you can drown in all of it and you can hear opinion after opinion after opinion 
uh, supposed prophet after prophet, message supposedly from God or from the Holy Spirit, etc., etc., etc. This is not what Peter does. Now, it's good to get the opinion of others. The Bible talks about the counsel of many. It's good to ask. It's good to to uh, uh, get in your your community of friends and and bring the decision and wonder what is it? What should I do? And that's that's okay to do. But ultimately, if your if your decision is not founded on the Scripture, you have no way of knowing what your decision what the outcome is going to be you have if you have no biblical foundation for the decision and you're going by the opinions and the statements and the supposed words of god from other people you've got to take those things and check them what does the scripture underline that word actually say about this now what peter's doing is is even deeper because Peter is driven to the fact that he must make this decision and that this group, this community of faith must make this decision because Peter is reading the scripture, not the other way around. So Peter's knowledge of the scripture is so deep that the scripture is driving him to make a decision. It's not, well, I want to make a decision, so I'll go and see what the scripture says about it if I even think to do that. No, it's because he was so connected and so founded on the scripture that the scripture was driving him to make a decision. We often do the reverse. We want to make a decision in life, and so then we'll read the Bible. Peter is reading the Bible, and so he has to make a decision, you see? And these two Psalms are super interesting Psalms because Psalm 69 that he's quoting from um, he's not the only uh, New Testament author who thinks that this psalm is about the Messiah and the betrayal of the Messiah. John thinks it is because he quotes from it. Paul thinks it is because he quotes from it. And you see these two figures in this psalm, a messianic kind of figure and a betrayer or a uh, one who persecutes this figure. You see these things in this psalm and it's like a foreshadowing of the life of Jesus. Psalm 109 really refers to this betrayer and uh, the outcome. It's a it's a kind of uh, what you call an imprecatory psalm where the psalmist is actually asking God to judge this betrayer. And so this, these, are, these are ways of looking at these psalms uh, that show a deep connection to the Scripture. Clearly, Peter and these people who were, who were making this decision had a very deep foundation in the Bible. And this is not the opinion of somebody else. There, Peter is quoting from the canon of Scripture at that time. So what we would call the Old Testament today, the 39 books of the Old Testament, that's what they had. And that's what was being read from. The New Testament still being written at the time that Peter um, is, is in this moment. Okay, so go to the Bible. What does the Scripture say? Yeah, people can say all kinds of things. That's good. That's fine. But ultimately, you've got to go, what does the Scripture say? And your knowledge of the Scripture should be driving you to decisions rather than those decisions driving you to the Scripture. 
So get to a place in life where the Bible is so much a part of your life that it's driving your decisions. In other words, I read the Bible and so now I have to make a decision, not I have to make a decision and so now I'll read the Bible. You say the Bible is so confusing to me, is so intimidating to me. Listen, now we have so many tools at our disposal to get grounded in the Bible. I always talk about the free version Bible app that gets on your phones and your tablets. They even have one for kids, youversion.com videos on there, all kinds of study helps, all kinds of tips and tools for people who are beginners to people who are uh, uh, teachers. It, it can be used by anybody uh, because of our relationship with Church on the Queensway. We have access to Right Now Media, which is the largest streaming video Bible study site in the world. Um, if you are not plugged into Right Now Media and you want to be, you need to contact me and I will get you set up with Right Now Media. There's stuff on there for kids. No kids ministry happening right now in person. So much content on there for children, youth, young adults, men, women, whatever subject, whatever situation. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. So we don't really have excuses today because we are in the age where information uh, literature, communication has never been more easily accessible. You say, I don't like to read. Well, then listen to the Bible and your faith will grow. Your understanding will grow. Many of the people in the New Testament could not even read, and yet they heard the Bible, memorized sections of the Bible, and grew in their faith as a result. So what does the Scripture say? Number two, what you don't have to pray about. Yes, I said that, okay? This comes from verse 23, and so they they surmise after reading these Psalms, Peter taking leadership, that they have to fill Judas's spot. And so verse 21, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men, this is their criterion, who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us. So somebody who has to have been with us and been with Jesus the whole time. That's number one, beginning from John's baptism right up till the time he was taken from us. Who's one of these people? Jesus didn't appoint the person specifically as an apostle, but that's going to be the criterion. And so they propose two people. They've got Joseph and they've got Matthias. Now, here's the observation. They didn't pray about it. They didn't pray about which two people are we going to choose. They used wisdom and common sense to say, well, we've got to fill this guy's shoes. Jesus put him there. Jesus appointed this man, Judas, to be an apostle, uh, which is a sermon all unto itself. But what was the criterion that Jesus said? Well, you know, people had to be with him the whole time. People had to be a, a witness of his resurrection. So they used common sense. They used their brains. They used the wisdom and the the uh, the mind that God gave them to propose these two men. I mean, they didn't say, well, you know, we're going to pray about who we're going to propose. Now, you can say that, that they did, but it's an argument from silence. The implication from the scripture is they use wisdom. They use common sense. Um, they they followed the pattern of Jesus in, in the choosing, and they used common sense. And there are many, many things like that in life. 
where you don't have to pray about what kind of cheese you're going to put on your cheese sandwich. You don't have to pray about, you know, what kind of shoes am I going to wear? Some folks, they think that when it when the Bible says to pray without ceasing, it means to pray about every little last uh, nook and cranny and, and uh, minutia detail in life. I mean, if you do that, it's almost like what the Pharisees did in in the, in the pages of the Gospels. So concerned about these little minutia things and these little legalities and laws and all of these things. You, there's common sense, folks, that you have to use. And this group used it. Now, this is a book, the book of Acts, that is loaded with prayer and loaded with the miraculous and loaded with the supernatural. And yet here are these people who say, listen, here's the two guys who we propose. Common sense. So there's things that you pray about. And if you look at the first um, uh, uh, video of this series, in the Lord's Prayer, we see plenty of things to pray about. But then there's also things that you really don't need to pray about. You need to use the mind that God gave you. Say, well, I don't know if I have enough wisdom. We'll ask God for wisdom. James says this in the book of James, half-brother of Jesus. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. So, I mean, there are things that you're going to you're going to get to a point about a decision where you need to go to God about it. But there's parts of that decision that you can just plain old use the common sense and the wisdom and the brains that God gave you. There's an old saying, don't take your brain and don't check it out at the door when you when you go into the church. The idea is uh, when you're a Christian, you don't stop thinking. You don't stop using common sense okay so there's things that you pray about when you're making a decision and then there's things you don't have to pray about i remember uh when i was a new a new believer about two years uh, in the church that i got saved in which i ended up being a pastor in later but i remember the the pastor at the time he was kind of a mentor to me and he said um i'm I'm taking this this uh this uh, team a short-term missions team to spain to barcelona it was 1992 and the olympics were in barcelona we're going to take a team to barcelona barcelona is very much like the province of quebec a lot of religion uh but not a lot of jesus and we're going to take a team there we're going to do street ministry we're going to do all this kind of stuff uh do you want to come I, I didn't have to pray about it. It wasn't like it was a no brainer. Sure, I'd love to come. What's the worst that could go wrong? Uh, maybe I'll grow a little bit in my relationship with God. Well, not not only did I grow, I met my wife through that trip. OK, so it, there's things in life where you just you just go for it and you just say, well, there, there's nothing here that's against God. There's nothing against God's word here. The, 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 I, I'm in the scripture. This is clearly a decision that really doesn't need prayer. What it needs is action. And the disciples, they took action. They said, there's two people here, and this is as far as we can take this. And now we've got to bring it to God. Number three, last observation. And then we're going to talk about a big decision that Jesus had to make and have communion together. But uh, consider the method of God's answer when you do take the thing to God. I mean, this is a stunning, stunning portion of scripture to me so they've got these two guys and they've got uh uh joseph and they've got matthias okay and then they prayed this little simple basic prayer lord you know everyone's heart 
show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry with Judas left to go where he belongs. Uh, just an aside here, a little little joke for you, uh, trying to trying to minimize a really heavy subject. Um, there's always a controversy. Where's Judas? People always ask the question, is Judas in heaven? Is Judas in hell? Where's Judas? I heard one preacher, he said, where he belongs. <laughs> that's what the Bible says, okay? Um, that's a joke, all right? So, so they cast lots. They what? They cast lots. And the lot fell to Matthias. And so he was added to the 11 apostles. Cast lots? That's what they're looking for, for God to, that's the way that they're looking for, for God to answer, cast lots. Okay, to cast lots back in that day, and you actually see this quite frequently in the Bible. It's used often in the Bible. You can probably find a half a dozen references really quickly, especially in the Old Testament, but a couple of times in the New Testament. Casting lots was, uh, was a form, it was like rolling the dice, it was like flipping a coin. It's like drawing straws. Um, back in the day, you know, you would you would have a if you had to make a choice and you wanted it to be totally random, so that you know there was no human intervention into it. You'd take these straws and you'd make one shorter. And you, if if somebody in the group had to do a task, you'd say, "Well, we'll draw straws, and whoever whoever draws the shortest straw is the one who has to do the job." And so n- nobody could say that there was any. Uh, a cheating or intervention going on there where somebody rigged it, the decision was made purely by by chance, okay? So what they're doing here is they're saying, no, this is not chance. We're taking this as God's way of answering our prayer. Excuse me? By essentially rolling the dice? And there were various ways this was done. There used to be, uh, like, they would write names on little stones, little pebbles, and they would throw the pebbles and cast them. And so if the pebble, the one that went furthest, had a certain name on it, they'd say, okay, well, that's the person whom God has chosen to do this job. Uh, I saw one uh, teaching that I thought was interesting where um, you, you even see it in the, in the Gospel of Luke uh, that John the Baptist's father, uh, 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 Zechariah, was chosen by Lot to go and burn incense in the Christmas narrative. You see that. And uh, maybe one of the ways that that worked, at least according to this teaching that I saw, uh, had to do with a person's hand. And so they would line these priests up, and uh, the high priest and his assistant would choose the priest that would go into the temple by lot. And the way they would do it was with their hand. So every every person presumably has five fingers on their hands. And so the, the high priest would pick a number. Let's say the number was 33. And, and the high priest would tell his assistant, the number's 33. And then they'd line these priests up and the priest would hold out their hand. Now, if the priests, if these priests really wanted to go in the temple and burn the incense, they'd hold out five fingers. If they didn't really want to, maybe they'd hold out one finger. Maybe they'd hold out no fingers. But the amount of fingers would dictate maybe their chances would go up that they would be picked uh, by lot to go into the temple and burn the incense. So they would count the fingers. One, two, three, four, five. Next priest, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Next priest, maybe he had two fingers up, 11, 12. And when they, when they went around and they got to 33, they'd say, you're it. You're the guy. And this may have happened exactly to Zechariah when he went in and burned the incense and saw the angelic visitation talking about the birth of his, his son at one point. 
Um, and back then is interesting because, well, you know, you had a little part to play in it, depending on the amount of fingers you put up. But in any case, this was taken very, very seriously. You say, is it gambling? No, there's no money involved. But this was a very natural way for them to say, well, God has spoken in the matter. Uh, there's even a proverb uh, that I'll read to you from Proverbs chapter 16 in the, in the Old Testament, verse 33. Uh, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So they took this very seriously, apparently. And for them, it was, listen, this is the way that God is going to tell us the answer to our prayer by something so simple and so natural as the casting of lots. There's nothing supernatural going on here. It's not like the lots levitated in the air or something. It's not like God wrote the name of the, of the, the person, Matthias, in the sky. They used a very simple and very natural way to say, this is the answer from God. And another little sidebar to this, Lord, show us who you have chosen, not who we have chosen, but who you have chosen. When you have to make a decision, ultimately, you've got to realize, God, what is your decision about this, not my decision about this? Your very life, my friend, is on loan from God. Ultimately, when you start to see that decision as being God's rather than yours, wow, you're, you're really starting to get it. And God can answer in a variety of ways. You know, we typically say, well, God will answer your prayer, yes, no, or you won't hear anything. And when you don't hear anything, that could be slow, that could be no, but maybe later no, or maybe you might think, well, God doesn't even exist. You see, he doesn't even answer. Uh, that's what we often say. But the truth is that God answers prayer in many ways beyond yes, no, or nothing. Um, <laughs> I mean, when you talk to a person and you ask somebody for something in a conversation, do they just answer yes, no, or they don't answer? They might ask you a question. You might get into a dialogue about the subject uh, before you get some kind of yes or no or no answer, right? Well, isn't God permitted to answer that way? The lesson is he can answer any way he wants, natural to supernatural and anything in between. Um, for those of you who like to dig a little bit, Judges chapter 6, you'll see a judge by the name of Gideon who really places something before God and almost puts a, like a condition in the way that he wants God to answer. And this is in the context of, of Old Testament battles for land and so on. So you've got to get back in their world to understand it. But he basically is in a war and he says, God, if we're going to win this war, you need to give me a sign. And the sign is, uh, he, he has this fleece, this piece of cloth, and he says, I'm going to place this fleece on the threshing floor. The threshing floor was where they harvested the the uh, uh, the offerings and they, they got the, the barley out of the chaff and so on. They would thresh it and get get the, the, the good stuff out so that the shell would be left behind, the threshing floor. And so he said, well, I'm going to put this fleece, this garment, if you will, on the threshing floor overnight. And when I wake up in the morning, I mean, it's almost laughable. When I wake up in the morning, if the, if the fleece 
only has dew in it and there's no dew on the fl- on the threshing floor, then I'll know we're going to win the battle. So the next morning he gets up and lo and behold, he picks up the, the fleece. There's no dew on the floor. It's only in the fleece. Folks, that's impossible by natural uh, physical processes. It's completely impossible. There's so much dew in the fleece that he wrings it out and the water comes down. But Gideon, he, he's not sure still. And he says, well, okay, but can I ask you one more favor? You know, he's pushing. And this is this is God in the Old Testament, okay? And he says to God, well, uh, let, let's let's try one more test just to be sure. If we're going to win this battle, um, then I'm going to, then I'll put the, the, the fleece on the threshing floor. But this time, make the dew go on the floor, not the fleece. So sure enough. Next morning, he wakes up, he, he picks up the fleece, the fleece is dry as a bone, but the, there's water, there's dew all over the floor. What's the point? God can answer any way he wants. Put the thing before God and watch him work, and he can work through a completely natural situation or a very supernatural situation. So a uh, closing story, and then I'm going to give you time to prepare your emblems, and we'll get into communion together uh, today. Uh, the mission, the food bank that I work in, in the city of Brossard, it's a big building, pretty large building, probably worth a couple million dollars. The story of how that organization acquired that building just a few years ago after being in a church basement um, and being told to leave that church basement had nothing um, and move their whole outfit to, to this new city of Brossard, and the director of the of the mission, who's a, a Christian, he's been to our church a few times, and he put the matter before God, similarly to what I'm teaching on today. And he said, God, we want to be in the city of Brossard, and there's a building that we see in the city of Brossard, an old milk factory, a yogurt factory, and we're going to put an offer on that building, but we have no money. So if you want us to do this and you want us to go into this place in the city of Brossard and get this building, then we're going to get this building. And um, But we have no money. And so they place an offer on the building with no money to show for it. Zero. I mean, that is that's a quite quite a bold endeavor. And long story short, they, they, the money came in. They put the offer on with no money. And shortly after, you'd have to talk to the director. Maybe we'll have him in sometime to talk about it. But there were hundreds of thousands of dollars that came in so that they could buy this building. I mean, that is that, that there's nothing supernatural about that. Is God working through natural means? But wow, there is something miraculous afoot when something happens of that nature. Yes. So I don't know what your story is, what your situation is, uh, but we are going to talk about as we uh, prepare for communion together, a story um, of Jesus. And uh, I'm just going to read it to you uh, uh, just quickly. This is out of also the gospel of Luke. And this is a decision that Jesus had to make. And it really uh, affects our lives today. Uh, before Jesus was arrested and tried and executed, he prayed. Remember his prayer? Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. He comes to God and he says, God, his father, is there another way to do this? 
because Jesus is God, but Jesus is also man. And crucifixions were the most brutal uh, uh, way to die in that time. If you are willing, take this cup. This is a decision I have to walk into. If you are willing, take this cup from me and look what Jesus does. Yet not my will, but yours be done. So God, it's your will. It's your choice. It's your decision. Great model for us. And again, you're not Jesus, okay? He's got two natures. He's God and man at the same time. But uh, you see it in the book of Acts. These people say, Lord, show us whom you have chosen. It's because of the choice of Jesus that we celebrate uh, communion today. So I'm going to give you a couple of minutes, one minute to go and get your emblems, whatever you want, juice, uh, a bread, a wafer, even a cracker is fine. These are symbolic things. So I'm going to give you a minute to prepare those and then we'll come back and uh, have communion together before we close today. Emblems in front of me and uh, parents, you've got children in the house. Um, it's very simple, and I encourage parents to get your kids involved in communion even at ve a very, very young age, uh, because it's it's about the pictures and the symbols, and they can understand those things. Um, so I'm reading from the book of First Corinthians, Paul's letter to this church. Classic thing that we read when we do communion. And he says this, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And this wafer that we eat, this bread that we eat, this is a picture, this is a symbol, this is a reminder of the body of Christ that hung on the cross for our sins, but also the body of Christ, the community of faith around the world and locally. So we remember Jesus, we remember what he did for us, and we also understand that we're part of his body here on earth. Would you partake of the bread with me? And Paul continues in the same way after supper, he took the cup. And I just have a cup of juice here. 
uh, in front of me. He took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Well, he hadn't shed his own blood yet, right? So there's a picture. This is a symbol. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. So communion is like a reset, spiritual reset button for the soul. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, what are you doing? You proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. We're preaching. We're proclaiming Jesus died. Jesus rose again and Jesus is coming again. Everything's going to be okay. In French, we say, ça va bien aller, okay? Jesus died, Jesus rose, and Jesus is coming again. Would you partake of the juice with me? Let's pray together. God, we are so grateful and so thankful of how, Lord, you love us and how you have demonstrated that love for us by dying in our place we are no longer enemies of you but god we can call you friend through the blood of jesus and lord i just pray on behalf of people who are watching right now and they don't know where they stand with you they don't know where they stand with god but i pray on their behalf lord uh, in sincerity god forgive me a sinner and and jesus take my life I surrender myself to you. Show yourself to me. Forgive me for all of my my selfishness and for all of my uh, moral wrong and for all of my sin. And uh, create in me a clean heart and uh, change me from the inside out. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, thank you so much for tuning in with us today. And if you just prayed that prayer, I want you to hang in for a couple of moments here. And everybody, just hang in because there's announcements I want to remind you about. Uh, something I didn't say before. Tomorrow at 7 p.m., I will be going uh, online through this new this new way that we can stream, which is a lot more interactive. And I'll be doing a, a live stream with online prayer. You've got prayer requests. You've got things that you're dealing with that you need prayer for. You can come right into the broadcast, leave a comment. I would be delighted to pray for you right there. And there'll be others online and we'll be united together and pray together. And we're going to do a little bit of Q&A. It's only a 30-minute stream, okay? So you can jump in and jump out anytime you like. You can invite non-Christian people on there. I would be delighted to answer their questions and pray for them as well. So that's at 7 p.m. tomorrow night. We'll do prayer and Q&A. And remember as well, the, the two groups that you can join, you can join both of them if you want. Uh, the Clash of Kingdoms video Bible study that's coming and also the Facebook discipleship group uh, through our Facebook page. All right. God bless you, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in and look forward to connecting with you uh, tomorrow. And uh, we'll be back again next Sunday as we continue our series, When You Pray. Until then, God bless you, everyone.